When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Arsène Lupin by Edgar Jepson and Maurice LeBlanc Chapter 1 The Millionaire's Daughter The rays of the September sun flooded the great halls of the old chateau of the Dukes of Charmeras, lighting up with their mellow glow the spoils of so many ages and many lands jumbled together with the taste which so often afflicts those whose only standard of value is money. The golden light warmed the paneled walls and old furniture to a dull luster and gave back to the fading gilt of the First Empire chairs and couches something of its old brightness. It illumined the long line of pictures on the walls, pictures of dead and gone charmerosses, the stern or debonair faces of the men, soldiers, statesmen, dandies, the gentle or imperious faces of beautiful women, it flashed back from armor of brightly polished steel and drew dull gleams from armor of bronze. The hues of rare porcelain, of the rich inlays of Oriental or Renaissance cabinets, mingled with the hues of the pictures, the tapestry, the Persian rugs about the polished floor to fill the hall with a rich glow of color. But of all the beautiful and precious things which the sun rays warmed to a clearer beauty, the face of the girl who sat writing at a table in front of the long windows, which opened onto the centuries-old turf of the broad terrace, was the most beautiful and the most precious. It was a delicate, almost frail beauty. Her skin was clear with the transparent luster of old porcelain, and her pale cheeks were only tinted with the pink of the faintest roses— her straight nose was delicately cut, her rounded chin admirably molded. A lover of beauty would have been at a loss whether more to admire her clear, dramander eyes, so melting and so adorable, or the sensitive mouth, with its rather full lips, inviting all the kisses. But assuredly he would have been grieved by the perpetual air of sadness which rested on the beautiful face, the wistful melancholy of the Slav, deepened by something of personal misfortune and suffering. Her face was framed by a mass of soft, fair hair, shot with strands of gold where the sunlight fell on it, and little curls, rebellious to the comb, straight over her white forehead, tiny feathers of gold. She was addressing envelopes, and a long list of names lay on her left hand. When she had addressed an envelope, she slipped it into a wedding card. On each was printed, Monsieur Gournay Martin has the honor to inform you of the marriage of his daughter Germaine to the Duke of Chamaras. She wrote steadily on, adding envelope after envelope to the pile ready for the post, which rose in front of her. But now and again, when the flushed and laughing girls who were playing lawn tennis on the terrace raised their voices, higher than usual, as they called the score, and distracted her attention from her work, her gaze strayed through the open window 
and lingered on them wistfully. And as her eyes came back to her task, she sighed with so faint a wistfulness that she hardly knew she sighed. Then a voice from the terrace cried, "'Sonia, Sonia!' "'Yes, Mademoiselle Germaine,' answered the writing girl. "'Tea, order tea, will you?' cried the voice, a petulant voice, rather harsh to the ear. "'Very well, Mademoiselle Germaine,' said Sonia, and having finished addressing the envelope under her pen, she laid it on the pile ready to be posted, and crossing the room to the old wide fireplace, she rang the bell. She stood by the fireplace a moment, restoring to its place a rose which had fallen from a vase on the mantelpiece, and her attitude, as with arms upraised she arranged the flowers, displayed the delightful line of a slender figure, as she let her arms fall to her side, a footman entered the room. "'Will you please bring the tea, Alfred?' she said in a charming voice of that pure, bell-like tone, which has been nature's most precious gift to but a few of the greatest actresses. "'For how many, miss?' said Alfred. "'For four, unless your master has come back. "'Oh, no, he's not back yet, miss. "'He went in the car to Wren to lunch, and it's a good many miles away.' "'He won't be back for another hour. "'And the Duke, he's not back from his ride yet, is he?' "'Not yet, miss,' said Alfred, turning to go. "'One moment,' said Sonia. "'Have all of you got your things packed for the journey to Paris? "'You will have to start soon, you know. "'Are all the maids ready?' "'Well, all the men are ready, I know, miss. "'But about the maids, miss, I can't say. "'They've been bustling about all day.' "'but it takes them longer than it does us. "'Tell them to hurry up and be as quick as you can with the tea, please,' said Sonia. "'Alfred went out of the room. "'Sonia went back to the writing table. "'She did not take up her pen. "'She took up one of the wedding cards, and her lips moved slowly, "'as she read it in a pondering depression. "'The petulant, imperious voice broke in upon her musing.' "'Whatever are you doing, Sonia? "'Aren't you getting on with those letters?' "'It cried angrily. "'And Germain, Gournay Martin, "'came through the long window into the hall. "'The heiress to the Gournay Martin millions "'carried her tennis racket in her hand, "'and her rosy cheeks were flushed redder than ever by the game. "'She was a pretty girl in a striking, "'high-coloured, rather obvious way, "'the very foil to Sonia's delicate beauty.' Her lips were a little too thin, her eyes too shallow, and together they gave her a rather hard air, in strongest contrast to the gentle, sympathetic face of Sonia. The two friends with whom Germaine had been playing tennis followed her into the hall. Jean Gautier, tall, sallow, dark, with a somewhat malicious air, Marie Boulier, short, round, commonplace, and sentimental. They came to the table at which Sonia was at work, and pointing to the pile of envelopes, Marie said, "'Are these all wedding cards?' "'Yes, and we've only got to the letter V,' said Germain, frowning at Sonia. "'Princess de Vernon, Duchess de Voivuse, Marquess. "'You've invited the whole Faubourg Saint-Germain,' said Marie, shuffling the pile of envelopes with an envious air. "'You'll know very few people at your wedding,' "'said Jean, with a spiteful little giggle. "'I beg your pardon, my dear,' said Germaine, boastfully. 
Madame de Relzier, my fiancé's cousin, gave an at-home the other day in my honour. At it she introduced half Paris to me, the Paris I'm destined to know, the Paris you'll see in my drawing-rooms. "'But we shall no longer be fit friends for you when you're the Duchess of Charmeras,' said Jean. "'Why?' said Germaine, and then she added quickly, "'Above everything, Sonia, don't forget Valougis, 33 University Street, 33 University Street.' "'Valougis, 33 University Street,' said Sonia, taking a fresh envelope and beginning to address it. "'Wait, wait, don't close the envelope. I'm wondering whether Valougis ought to have a cross, a double cross, or a triple cross,' said Germaine, with an air of extreme importance. "'What's that?' cried Marie and Jean together. "'A single cross means an invitation to the church, a double cross, an invitation to the marriage, and the wedding breakfast.' And the triple cross means an invitation to the marriage, the breakfast, and the signing of the marriage contract. What do you think the Duchess of Valougis ought to have? Don't ask me. I haven't the honor of knowing that great lady, cried Jean. Nor I, said Marie. Nor I, said Germaine. But I have here the visiting list of the late Duchess of Charmeras, Jacques's mother. The two duchesses were on excellent terms. Besides, the Duchess of Valougis is rather worn out. "'but greatly admired for her piety. "'She goes to early service three times a week.' "'Then put three crosses,' said Jean. "'I shouldn't,' said Marie quickly. "'In your place, my dear, I shouldn't risk a slip. "'I should ask my fiancé's advice. "'He knows this world.' "'Oh, goodness, my fiancé. "'He doesn't care a rap about this kind of thing. "'He has changed so in the last seven years. Seven years ago he took nothing seriously.' Why, he set off on an expedition to the South Pole, just to show off. Oh, in those days he was truly a duke. And today, said Jean? Oh, today he's a regular slow coach. Society gets on his nerves. He's as sober as a judge, said Germain. He's as gay as a lark, said Sonia, in sudden protest. Germain pointed at her and said, Oh, he's gay enough when he's making fun of people. But apart from that, he's sober as a judge. "'Your father must be delighted with the change,' said Jean. "'Naturally he's delighted. "'Why, he's lunching at Rennes today with the minister, "'with the sole object of getting Jacques decorated.' "'Well, the Legion of Honour is a fine thing to have,' said Marie. "'My dear, the Legion of Honour is all very well for middle-class people, "'but it's quite out of place for a duke,' cried Germain. "'Alfred came in, bearing the tea-tray and set it on a little table, "'near that at which Sonia was sitting.' Germain, who was feeling too important to sit still, was walking up and down the room. Suddenly she stopped short, and pointing to a silver statuette, which stood on the piano, she said, "'What's this? Why is the statuette here?' "'Why, when we came in, it was on the cabinet, in its usual place,' said Sonia, in some astonishment. "'Did you come into the hall while we were out in the garden, Alfred?' said Germain to the footman. "'No, miss,' said Alfred.' "'But someone must have come into it,' Germain persisted. "'I've not heard anyone. I was in my pantry,' said Alfred. "'It's very odd,' said Germain. "'It is odd,' said Sonia. "'Statuettes don't move about of themselves.' "'All of them stared at the statuette as if they expected it to move again, forthwith, under their very eyes. "'Then Alfred put it back in its usual place on one of the cabinets and went out of the room.' Sonia poured out the tea, 
and over it they babbled about the coming marriage, the frocks they would wear at it, and the presents Germain had already received. That reminded her to ask Sonia if anyone had yet telephoned from her father's house in Paris, and Sonia said that no one had. "'That's very annoying,' said Germain. "'It shows that nobody has sent me a present today.' Pouting, she shrugged her shoulders with an air of a spoiled child, which sat, but poorly, on a well-developed young woman of twenty-three. "'It's Sunday. The shops don't deliver things on Sunday,' said Sonia gently. But Germain still pouted like a spoiled child. "'Isn't your beautiful duke coming to have tea with us?' said Jean, a little anxiously. "'Oh, yes, I'm expecting him at half-past four. "'He had to go for a ride with the two debuts. "'They're coming to tea here, too,' said Germain. "'Gone for a ride with the two debuts. "'But when?' cried Marie quickly. "'This afternoon.' "'He can't be,' said Marie. "'My brother went to the debuts' house after lunch "'to see André and Georges. "'They went for a drive this morning "'and won't be back till late tonight.' "'Well, but—' "'But why did the Duke tell me so?' said Germain, "'knitting her brow with a puzzled air. "'If I were you, I should inquire into this thoroughly. "'Dukes, well, we know what dukes are. "'It will be just as well to keep an eye on him,' said Jean, maliciously. "'Germain flushed quickly, and her eyes flashed. "'Thank you. I have every confidence in Jacques. "'I am absolutely sure of him,' she said angrily. "'Oh, well, if you're sure, it's all right,' said Jean.' The ringing of the telephone bell made a fortunate diversion. Germaine rushed to it, clapped the receiver to her ear, and cried, "'Hello, is that you, Pierre? Or it's Victor, is it? Ah, some presents have come, have they? Well, well, what are they?' "'What? A paper knife. Another paper knife. Another Louis the Sixteenth. Inkstand. Oh, brother. Who are they from?' "'Oh, from the Countess Rudolph and the Baron de Valerie. Her voice rose high, thrilling with pride. Then she turned her face to her friends, with the receiver still at her ear, and cried, "'Oh, girls, a pearl necklace, too. A large one. The pearls are big ones.' "'How jolly!' said Marie. "'Who sent it?' said Germain, turning to the telephone again. "'Oh, a friend of Papa's,' she added in a tone of disappointment. "'Never mind. After all, it's a pearl necklace.' "'You'll be sure and lock the doors carefully, Victor, won't you? "'And lock up the necklace in the secret cupboard. "'Yes, thanks very much, Victor. "'I shall see you tomorrow.' "'She hung up the receiver and came away from the telephone frowning. "'It's preposterous,' she said pettishly. "'Papa's friends and relations give me marvellous presents, "'and all the swells send me paper knives. "'It's all Jacques's fault. "'He's above this kind of thing. "'The Faubourg Saint-Germain hardly knows that we're engaged.' "'He doesn't go about advertising it,' said Jean, smiling. "'You're joking. "'But all the same, what you say is true,' said Germain. "'That's exactly what his cousin, Madame de Rézillier, "'said to me the other day at the at-home she gave in my honour. "'Wasn't it, Sonia?' "'And she walked to the window, and turning her back on them, stared out of it. "'She has got her mouth full of that at home,' said Jean to Marie in a low voice. "'There was an awkward silence.' "'Marie broke it. "'Speaking of Madame de Rézillet, "'do you know that she's on pins and needles with anxiety? "'Her son is fighting a duel today,' she said. "'With whom?' said Sonia. "'No one knows. 
"'She got hold of a letter from the seconds,' said Marie. "'My mind is quite at rest about Resilier,' said Germain. "'He's a first-class swordsman. No one could beat him.' Sonia did not seem to share her freedom from anxiety. Her forehead was puckered in little lines of perplexity, as if she were puzzling out some problem, and there was a look of something very like fear in her gentle eyes. "'Wasn't Razelier a great friend of your fiancé at one time?' said Jean. "'A great friend? I should think he was,' said Germain. "'Why, it was through Razelier that we got to know Jacques.' "'Where was that?' said Marie. "'Here, in this very chateau,' said Germain. "'Actually in his own house,' said Marie, in some surprise. "'Yes, actually here. Isn't life funny?' said Germain. "'If a few months after his father's death Jacques had not found himself hard up "'and obliged to dispose of this chateau to raise the money for his expedition to the South Pole, "'and if Papa and I had not wanted a historic chateau, "'and lastly, if Papa had not suffered from rheumatism, "'I should not be calling myself in a month from now the Duchess of Chamorras.' "'Now what on earth has your father's rheumatism "'got to do with your being Duchess of Chamorras?' cried Jean. "'Everything,' said Germain. "'Papa was afraid that this chateau was damp. "'To prove to Papa that he had nothing to fear, "'Jacques offered him his hospitality here at Chamorras for three weeks.' "'That was truly ducial,' said Marie. "'But he is always like that,' said Sonia. "'Oh, he's all right in that way.' "'Little as he cares about society,' said Germain. "'Then, since Jacques was setting out for the South Pole, "'and Papa considered me much too young to get married, "'I promised Jacques to wait for his return.' "'Why, it was everything that's romantic,' cried Marie. "'Romantic, oh yes,' said Germain, and she pouted. "'But between ourselves, if I'd known that he was going to stay "'all that time at the South Pole—' "'That's true,' broke in Marie. "'To go away for three years and stay away seven, at the end of the world—' "'All Germain's beautiful youth,' said Jean, with her malicious smile. "'Thanks,' said Germain tartly. "'Well, you are twenty-three. "'It's the flower of one's age,' said Jean. "'Not quite twenty-three, said Germain hastily. "'And look at the wretched luck I've had. "'The Duke falls ill and is treated at Montevieto. "'As soon as he recovers, since he's the most obstinate person in the world, "'he resolves to go on with the expedition. "'He sets out, and for an age, without a word of warning—' "'There's no more news of him, no news of any kind. "'For six months, you know, we believed him dead.' "'Dead? Oh, how unhappy you must have been,' said Sonia. "'Oh, don't speak of it. "'For six months I daren't put on a light frock,' said Germain, turning to her. "'A lot she must have cared for him,' whispered Jean to Marie. "'Fortunately, one fine day the letters began again. Three months ago a telegram informed us that he was coming back.' "'And at last the Duke returned,' said Germain, with a theatrical air. "'The Duke returned,' cried Jean, mimicking her. "'Never mind. Fancy waiting nearly seven years for one's fiancé. "'That was constancy,' said Sonia. "'Oh, you're a sentimentalist, Mademoiselle Krichnoff," said Jean, in a tone of mockery. "'It was the influence of the castle.' "'What do you mean?' said Germain. "'Oh, to own the castle of Charmeras and call oneself Mademoiselle Gournay-Martin. "'It's not worth doing. One must become a duchess,' said Jean. "'Yes, yes, and for all this wonderful constancy, seven years of it, "'Germain was on the point of becoming engaged to another man,' said Marie, smiling. 
"'And he a mere baron,' said Jean, laughing. "'What, is that true?' said Sonia. "'Didn't you know Mademoiselle Krichnoff? "'She nearly became engaged to the Duke's cousin, "'the Baron de Reselier. "'It was not nearly so grand. "'Oh, it's all very well to laugh at me, "'but being the cousin and heir of the Duke, "'Reselier would have assumed the title, "'and I should have been Duchess, just the same,' "'said Germain, triumphantly. "'Evidently that was all that mattered,' said Jean. "'Well, dear, I must be off. "'We've promised to run and see the Comtesse de Grosjean.' "'You know the Comtesse de Grosjean.' "'She spoke with an air of careless pride and rose to go. "'Only by name. "'Papa used to know her husband on the stock exchange "'when he was still called simply Monsieur Grosjean. "'For his part, Papa preferred to keep his name intact,' "'says Germain, with great pride. "'Intact? That's one way of looking at it. "'Well, then, I'll see you in Paris. "'You still intend to start tomorrow,' said Jean. "'Yes, tomorrow morning,' said Germain. Jean and Marie slipped on their dust coats to the accompaniment of chattering and kissing and went out of the room. As she closed the door on them, Germain turned to Sonia and said, "'I do hate those two girls. They're such horrible snobs.' "'Oh, they're good-natured enough,' said Sonia. "'Good-natured? Why, you idiot, they're just bursting with envy of me. Bursting,' said Germain. "'Well, they've every reason to be,' she added confidently, "'surveying herself in a Venetian mirror "'with a petted child's self-content. "'Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios "'of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.'